Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. All right, we good? Venue already? I kind of like it all crammed in here in our unplugs. Do you like it? Do you also like me? All y'all, I got you like right here. Let's like I bought I bought. All right. If you fall asleep, I'm going to make you do an interpretive dance. I would actually like to do that and just make somebody dance kind of where I'm preaching. But not just like dance what I'm preaching, dance where it's going. So You think I'm joking? I bought I bought. I better hear some amens here. We're going to be getting some new experiences. All right. Layton's <laughs> on that. Everybody's like, yeah, Layton's on that. No, I'm thinking I'm, I'm here. All right. Um, welcome to Science Suffering Part 2, Cold Hard Math. How was last week for you? Oh, come on. Um, we talked about, I'm not going to tell you right now because it's not in my notes. I got to stick to my notes because I got so much awesome stuff I want to get through here. And I love this setting. We're just kind of eyeball to eyeball. So let's have a dialogue where I'm doing most of the talking. But you're going to do most of the talking in your head and you're going to be arguing against me and I'm going to hurt your feelings. And I'm just going to get it all out, of, all out in the open because what we're doing is we're tackling the whole subject of logic and reason. And the problem with logic and reason is that we all think that we're logical and reasonable. But are we really? And we're in this Canadian moment that I'm going to talk about that's on a slippery slope into the middle of some places that we don't want to go. Uh, Canada Day, we're going to be in the parade here, and we, we're going to start our, get this, we're going to start our Night at the Movies uh, on Canada Day. So July is going to be a Night at the Movies series. So you know people that aren't church people, uh, we're going to be going in and out of like movie clips of movies that they've seen. And so if they're not church people, we're still going to have worship and stuff, but it's just going to be like this interactive thing where people are like, uh, and it's not going to be me, what do you, I can see, Stephanie right there, I can see you nodding and smiling at that. That is not the time to nod and smile. I forgive you. But I'm going to have, I've asked uh, three or four other uh, uh, couples or people to share during that time, so I want you to bring your friends to that, and I'll still be here, but I think that's going to be awesome. Um, and so Canada Day, we're going to advertise that here, but we might just show like a free movie, like The Last Jedi or something here on Canada Day at six in the evening. So bring your friends out, but we're also going to be in the parade. So find your venue peeps at the, at the parade. We'll put a Real Bows Rock trailer in there, blast some music, and advertise for this night here on Canada Day. So come out, we'll do the movie, and then you can go watch fireworks with the rest of us, wherever the fireworks would be. All right. Um, next week, we, we're going to change it up from science because it's Mother's Day. And so we're going to honor moms, whether you're a mom or not. Everybody has one, and it's good to honor them. And so I'm not a mother, so I'm not going to be personally offended because nobody's going to be giving me cool, cool stuff at venue. So spoil your mom. Bring her to Mother's Day, and uh, it's going to be awesome. They're going to have an amazing time. But I have a panel of five women who are great moms in venue, and I'm going to interview them. And one of them is my own mom. And I had to interview her so that I could carefully control what she's saying. Because she's got the dirt. But I'm also going to give her a mic, and it's going to be awesome. I want you to see, I want you to see the struggle, but I also want you to see how you can improve if you're a mom, but also what it takes to be a mom, and it's worthy of honor. And so everybody's got a mom if you're here. If you don't know how that works, come talk. Don't talk to me after. Talk to Pastor Aaron after, and we'll sort that out for you. All right, um, in this series here, I'm relying heavily on a book by uh, a man named Mark Clark, who's a great Canadian leader, and he wrote a book called The Problem of God. And I had decided I was going to do this series entitled Science, Suffering, and Other Problems with God, 
And then his book came out. And I'm like, oh, the Holy Spirit. All right. And so, um, which you might not believe in, and maybe that's why you're here, but I do. And so, uh, um, so I'm basically ripping off his material. But here's the thing. If you're on your way towards a relationship with God, or you're not sure, and this is, you're just kind of here fig- figuring it out, and that's you, you wouldn't say, like, I'm not a Christ following. I'm not really a God person yet. And you want a copy of that book? Uh, fill out a connect card at the box office, and I'll, I'll buy you one. How does that sound? And so it's really like going into, he came from a completely atheist background where he didn't believe in God, and he came to faith in God and his process there. And he's got a very, he was a skeptic in every way and how he came to God. Anyways, I'm not going to preach that out, but it's going to be good. Um, what I've done here also is as we move forward in the series, um, I was going to do another series next month, but we have a baptism that's going to wreck everything in there. We've got a whole bunch of people getting baptized, and that's going to be awesome. So, um, which is why we're here. And so, um, and so, but what I've decided to do, because there's so many, I was stressed out because there are so many reasons that keep people away from God or keep people even who come to God in a misunderstanding about God. And so some people I talk to, they've been in church for 10 years and they miss some crucial, crucial things because maybe they weren't allowed to, to have doubts or to ask questions, or maybe they just came in in a wrong way and they didn't really understand the ways of God or how that works. And so here are some topics and maybe this will speak to you. Scientifically speaking, next week, the problem of pain, the week after. What about all the suffering in the world? My brother died of cancer when he was 13. Like, how is God cool with that? Well, you might find out that God's not cool with that, but it's a question that you've had, and it's a question that I've had. We're going to tackle it. How about this one? Is the Bible really true? Why do Christians believe that the Bible, that God actually wrote the Bible? How does that work? You know? Why do, we, why do we believe that? Why do we believe that the Bible is inherently inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and we take it as God's word, and we take, we take it to be truth to us? Why do we do that? I'm going to do one that I think I'm going to call seriously sex. Because if there's one topic that keeps people out of church and away from Christianity, it's like this antiquated view that God might have about sex and your sexuality and how that all works. Oh, yeah, that's going to be fun. That one's going to be full. And that's going to be good. That's going to be good. Yeah, who said that? All right. I kind of like this. You like this? I'm enjoying myself. All right. Um, last week, this is, what the, uh, this is what I asked you to I put on your plate. And what I asked you to do for the whole series is this. Why believe what I feel? When I could believe what's real. How did you come to your system of beliefs? Was it by a logical road? Because I would suggest to you that maybe what's keeping away from God is logic. And maybe what you do is you just go on websites where people are bashing Christians because you don't like Christians because you knew some Christians that were idiots. Yeah. One of y'all. All y'all. All All right. (laughs) But here's the deal. What we do is you already have a belief system. And now what we tend to do, if you buy a car, you read the reviews that say that your car is amazing because you have to explain it to your wife. And so what you do when you believe something, you already have a system of beliefs is you look for evidence that supports what you already believe. But why don't we in this series tear it down and follow the evidence where the evidence actually goes? Can you commit with that to me? Because I think that that's, look, if you've been in church forever and you've never actually, you can't explain your your belief to somebody because it's like, well, I just believe in God. Why? Well, and then it all falls apart. Well, we can do better than that. Let's find it by logical means here. Um, here's a quote from next week. I'm going to read it again next week from Scientifically Speaking. (sighs) Stephen Jay Gould, a Harvard professor and the most celebrated atheist, evolutionary biologist, paleontologist, and historian of science in his generation said this, nature just is, and we cannot use nature for our moral instruction or for answering any question within the magisterium of religion. 
To say it for my colleagues and for the umpteenth millionth time, science simply cannot, by its legitimate methods, adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. We neither affirm or deny it. We simply cannot comment on it as scientists. There are three major arguments for the existence of God. The first one is the inner morality, which I'll be talking about today. The second one is physics. Look to the stars. The third one is something called metaphysics, or that word means beyond what you can see in this. And this is what he's saying. He's like, science, we deal with physics. We do not deal in the magisterium of religion beyond this. That is an area of belief and an area of faith, but scientists cannot speak into that. God could superintend that, but it would be above it. And I love that. An honest man. He wouldn't share our beliefs, but yet he's very careful that he's not going to overstep his bounds and say that we can speak into this. Next week, you come back. You know any scientists? I believe in science. You should still get baptized. Nacho Libre, Ghana fans in the house. Cinco de Mayo. All right. Cold, hard math. Here's our main thought today. I'm just going to hurt your feelings right up front. So smile. Act like it's not you. All right. Just getting through the day without a fight is the ultimate cowardice. I'm going to go after Canadian logic, and we're going to take a look at it. Just, just getting through the day without a fight is the ultimate cowardice. Just getting through your day without conflict is the ultimate cowardice. Three parts to the sermon. The first one is this, on logic and tolerance. Second part is on logic and exclusivity. Well, how can Jesus say that he's the only way? And how can you as a Christian say that what I believe isn't true? On logic and exclusivity. Let's tear it down and see what it looks like underneath it all. The third one is on inner morality. There's a place inside of you that draws a line somewhere. And every person draws a line somewhere. Why? It doesn't line up with evolutionary psychology. Why would you? Survival of the fittest. I'll dig into these things today. There's no getting around the offense of Jesus Christ. And if you come to Christ, or if you've come to Christ, you've never had to deal with this and wrestle this and, and climb over this mountain. You have to wrestle with this fact that Jesus will offend you in that he said this thing, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you believe in Jesus as he is, that's who he said he is. And if you make a different Jesus, it's not the real Jesus. And you create the Franken-Jesus. Y'all liked that last week. That looks a little like Jesus and a lot like you. And it freaks your kids out. Listen, if there's... (laughs) It does. There's no ultimate truth. Have you heard that? Well, it's relative. What's true for me is not true for you. This is my truth. Oh, I'm glad that you're a Christ follower. That's your truth. This is my truth. But there's really no ultimate truth. It all kind of goes in the same place, and it's all relative. And There's no absolute truth. There's no final game day judgment. There, there's none of that. There's none of that. What's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for you, and that's awesome. There's no absolute truth. Ask somebody the next time you hear that. Do you believe your statement to be true? It's got to be the most illogical system of beliefs I've ever come across. You just saw it off the branch you're sitting on. 
there's no absolute truth. But you believe that to be true. Uh huh. Can I just take like 50 million words in an essay and just tear it down to that? Why are you talking if you don't think there's an absolute truth? And why are you telling me what you think is true when there's no absolute truth? It lit, there is no logic underneath it. It makes no logical sense. Tear it down and take a look at it when it's not all dressed up by very clever people. I'm going to illustrate this today in our Canadian moment, which means I need some volunteers, which means some people are going to be voluntold. No. You got that feeling in the pit of your stomach right now, Mel. I know you do. She wants to. Oh, come on, give her a hand. All right. Now, I haven't thought about this part here, so why don't you stand over here? I need another volunteer, voluntold. Jesse? <laughs> Look at his eyes are like this. Oh, uh, I like being behind screens and stuff. All right, come on up, Jesse. Come on up. What? Come on up right here. We'll have to get this from this camera here, I guess. All right. Okay, so, so Mel here earlier was, was telling me, just show everybody the sign very slowly. You're Vanna White. I've been watching Wheel of Fortune lately. <laughs> it's amazing television. And so, um, so let's be logical about this, about the whole... Oh, lovely. Isn't that lovely? Let's be logical, shall we, about the whole concept of relative truth. So whatever industry that you're in that you would consider yourself at least somewhat of an expert, you know something about, think about it in your terms. But Mel here is an accountant today. She's going to be an accountant. And so if there's no, no absolute truth about God and the existence of God, if there's no absolute truth about a system of beliefs or about a religion or about religions, if there's no measuring stick to any of this here, well, look, look at it in your industry. So Mel here is pretty confident that two plus two equals four. Now, who would agree with that? Well, a funny thing happened this week is that, is that Leighton... Here, wipe that off somehow. Jess, what, Jesse? No, not all of it. What do you want? You said, wait, wait. Are you mad because I called you Layden? Fix it. Oh, you so need a handler. That four needs to go, and I didn't tell you that. And I got all distracted. All right, you did it. Awesome. Is it wet? Is it going to be a problem? Okay, that's good. But see, Jesse, in confidence, told me earlier today that he said... He said, Pastor, I've been talking with Mel, and this whole idea that two plus two equals four is... Who likes Jesse, like, behind the scenes? No, thanks, Jesse. Jesse uh, leads our youth here, and he's doing a terrific job of it. <laughs> so, so Jesse here, Jesse here told me the other day, he's like, Mel and I are not getting along because... Oops, I just about screwed that up. Because... He's like, Mel and I are not getting along because she's like, she says two plus two equals four. And I find that deal, I find it so offensive to me, Pastor. Because to me, to me, two plus two equals five. And I am sick and tired of Mel preaching at me that two plus two equals, she says in every situation, two plus two equals four. And I'm like, no, for me, two plus two equals five. This is, my, this is my truth. This is my moment. 
How dare she? And how dare all y'all disagree with me? This is absolute truth to me right now. Or relative, I guess. Because absolute means that, oh, no, wait, it's relative, I guess. Thanks, guys. You did a good job. Do you see how that works? Now think about your industry here. Just think about your industry here. We watch uh, like Master Chef and stuff, and I, I watch Master. Not that I can cook. I can cook eggs and macaroni. I can every time, man, macaroni. But so we watch Master Chef, and I was watching the, the Master Chef um, Canadian one. And I've been noticing a trend here because we're in a Canadian moment, and we need to talk about Canadian reasoning and Canadian logic and Canadian beliefs. And so I've been watching this, and, and it's funny that I see, particularly the youngers, no offense, shout out millennials, um, when they have a, a meal or a dish that is subpar and, and it fails, the judges often ask them this question, are you happy with the dish you've put out after it's been critiqued as subpar? While they're on the chopping block, and do you know what so many of them say? No. So many of them say, yes, I'm happy with it, and I stand by my food. I guess the real question is, did you want to win? Or did you want to stand by your failure and stand by your dang food? Or did you want to play the game by the rules that are actually here? Because now you get to go home. And if you're going to stand by terrible dishes, we don't want you on MasterChef. It's, we're in a Canadian moment. And what we're doing is we're looking at every other culture right now and judging from our Canadian moment, we are judging their moments. And we've come across this thing called relative truth. Why do we believe these things? Because we're Canadian. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You first. You first. No, I insist. You first. Somebody cuts in front of you in line. It's like, okay, no, my, my bad. My bad. You go first. Let me buy your coffee. I hope I didn't hurt your feelings. Are you okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. Don't hurt. Did I hurt your feelings? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There's something to be said about politeness and decorum, but there's another thing to be said about like straight up lying. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, it's okay, it's okay. No, it's okay. I'm good, I'm okay with it. I'll, do, I'll deal with it. I'll, you first. Listen, is tolerance and respect for people the same thing as agreeing with their ideas? Is it the same thing or not? Tolerance and respect for people. I think the Christian should be first, first to the table in, in fighting for the rights of any religion to believe, not any religion. We're gonna talk about that. Are some religions better than others? Ooh. Ooh. I feel the tension. We should be the first to fight for the right for a Muslim to believe what they believe. I think so. I think if God made you with a choice, a Christian should be the first to fight for that right. But is that the same thing as me agreeing with everything that they believe? This, this is it. In cultural pluralism, you have the right to believe what you want to believe. If God created you with choice, far be it from me to take that choice away from you. Now, if you want to do the stupidest possible thing and wreck your family... I'm the pastor and I got to do this like awkward thing where I'm like, hey, something needs to stop here and we need to do something. But I'm not going to like force you to do it. God's not going to force you to do it. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. But here's, here's the deal. Like he gave you choice in the beginning and that's why we're landed where we're, we've landed here. But cultural pluralism says that you have the right to believe that. But now we've taken this really shaky road over to this thing called meta, metaphysical pluralism, which takes this incredibly logical step that says, and what you believe is true. Joe believes that that light bulb is God. No, I love Joe, and I'm going to tolerate him, and I'm going to fight for him to believe that, if that's what he wants to believe, and it's not crazy town. You're not going to make my kids, you know, 
stick their fingers in a light socket or something. Like, I love Joe. But I now have to say, in Canadian culture, that he's right. And I'm right, and you're right, and we're all right. Everybody's right. I'm sorry, no, you first, it's okay. I want to hear your fingers. You good, you good? No, I'm thinking, oh, it's okay. Logic and tolerance. Did you know that the worst accusation in Canadian culture, I believe, this is just my personal opinion, write it down because it's good, <laughs> is this, somebody accusing you of being mean. Accusing you of not being nice. We are so scared to death of having to be in a situation where somebody looks at us and says, why are you so mean? Why are you so mean, Megan? Why are you so, you're not nice. You're not being nice to me right now. Think about it. Since when did being nice replace believing what's right and doing what's right? Can you believe what's right and do what's right and be nice all the time? What does nice mean? Your two-year-old just punched his brother. You're like, hey, dude, not cool. It's like, mommy, you're not being nice. How my feelings? If it doesn't work for your two-year-old, it's not going to work for you. You're not being nice to me. My boss is not nice to me. He expects me to show up on time. It's not nice. And then he's going to fire me or take my wages away. Since when did being nice replace being right? Believing what's right, doing what's right. Are we crazy? Is this where we've come to in our logic, in our reasoning? We are afraid of somebody accusing me of being mean. And we have our whole lives with this value down on his core. It's terrifying. We, uh, I'm going to tell this story. We were at this campfire the other night. Some of my small group got together and some people were there. And something happened. That's going to be awesome. We were talking and somebody, it probably was me because I'm funny that way. I said to, to Shannon, where's Shannon? Hi, Shannon. I love you so much. All right. Shannon, I said to Shannon, like, wow, you're kind of competitive. And she's like, hey, I've never thought of myself as competitive. And she starts this, like, inward search. And like, I guess I'm competitive. Huh? I never thought about that. Or somebody said that about Shannon. Anyways, I'm, like, super sketchy with a vax. But we were kind of going around the circle. And then, then my wife says, and I asked her permission to say this. She's with all your kids right now. So, oh, she's so good in there. But then my wife's like, I'm not competitive. And I you know, choked on whatever I was drinking. <laughs> I'm like... Any of y'all played soccer with Pastor Aaron when a call didn't go our way? Okay. I'm like, you're not competitive. I'm like, in an argument, you're not competitive? No. I'm like, well, it's because you never say you're wrong. So like, I guess in a way, it was like mind-blowing to me. Like, I'm so competitive, but like straight up, you know that. Coming out of the gate, I'm competitive. My small group is the best. My phone is the best. I mean, no, no, not really, but I'm just competitive, but I'm like, you know, straight up about it. And so she says this thing and like, I'm having this moment and then I say something and then a funny thing happened. Guys, have you ever noticed this, that when you're with a group of women, you're wrong? How dare you suggest to your wife that she's not competitive when that's what, you big meanie? Because women hunt in packs. It is a herd instinct and a survival thing because they've all had children. And you don't know, you big jerk. It's your fault. You tell 
your wife, she compared in front of all of us, and this mood kind of changed her, and, and we know this, and it's funny, and girls know this too, and you know, girls are like, I'm going to be on the side of the girl, like, no matter, I'm like, no matter what, like, it'll seem sort of crazy to me, logical, I just said something very logical, and also true, and all of a sudden, the mood all changed, you know, it was chewed up, and spit out, and booed off stage, and then, best believe somebody's paying the Pied Piper, and then, and then, and then, uh, but isn't that what we're doing in society with everybody? Think about it. Because now Shannon doesn't have to look at herself and say, hey, maybe I'm competitive. And if you cover for me about this thing, about this issue of morality, about this logical, about this, if you cover for me, I'll cover for you. But what I'm really afraid of, if somebody gets called out for it, I can say that you're not nice and you're mean. I don't have to listen to you because you didn't say it the way that I wanted to say it and I didn't really want you to say it. And all I have to do is say that because then, and everybody gangs up on you, and then who's gonna come at, who's gonna listen to you next time? Because you know, if you, if you speak your mind and you speak what's true or what's logical, you know everybody's coming for you. Everybody's gonna call you the terrible bigot. Everybody's gonna call you the big meanie. Everybody's gonna go after you. And we're in this cultural moment where we're all covering for ridiculous things. We see this in third world countries all the time. Corruption. You cover for me because I'm taken out of the pot and I'll cover for you and our people will suffer Oh, am I allowed to preach this? Martin Luther said, he defines sin as this, homo incurvatus, which means humankind turned in on itself. Thinking about itself, self-absorbed, self-truth, self, 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 me, 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 me. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to think about themselves. We're in a cultural moment that only believes things that make me feel good. And you have to be willing to climb that mountain if you want to dig down and find what's true. I believe that vegetables make me feel bad while I eat them. That is my relative truth because vegetables are terrible. Kale salads? Like who? Who was the first one who's like, I should eat this? I'm just going to brush the dirt off it and the worms or whatever else is going on there. I'm going to eat this and it's going to make me healthy. The reality of it is, though, it tastes terrible, but it's actually good for you. But we're in this cultural moment that says, I only believe what makes me feel good. What if you're wrong? How long are you going to feel good? Number two on logic and exclusivity. Exclusivity. The thought that we're in a Canadian moment that's very inclusive, which means just include everybody. Everybody's a winner. You can get all the prizes I used to get in school, but I used to have to actually do something to get one. You have a pulse. I'm, you're, you're, you're here. You're, Arwen, you're at school. You're legally required by law to be here, but you're, you've done such a great job showing up this morning. Thank you so much, Arwen. So amazing that, that you overcame all that you overcame to legally do what you're required to do. Wow. We're all winners. Great job, everybody. Back in the day, you actually had to do stuff to get prizes. You actually had to turn your homework in and stuff to get through it. So you didn't have to go through it again and through it again. On logic and exclusivity, are some ideas not better than others? We're in this moment where we're just like, hey, your idea is as good as my idea. Everything's kind of the same. It's all good. This, you know, pluralistic. Everybody's nice. Nice, nice, nice. You first. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All ideas are the same. So I guess all, all tires are the same. So... So, you need a tire on your truck. Come over, I got a bike. 
we'll slap my, you know, 10-speed tire on there. You're good to go. All ideas are the same? Huh. Your idea and your idea and your idea and your idea all about the same thing. Jesse says 2 plus 2 is 5 and Mel says 2 plus 2 is 4. It's all the same. Like, it's all the same, right? It's all the same. But what's logical? In philosophy and logic, there's this thing called the law of contradiction, which says this, that two opposing sides can't both be true. If I look at Jacob here, what's up, Jacob? And Anthony here, he's like, I'm like, I'm like, if I look at Jacob, I'm like, Jacob's wearing glasses. And Anthony's like, no, he's not. (laughs) Hey, no, no, you know what? You're right, and I'm right. No, he's not wearing glasses. Thanks, Jacob. (laughs) If, if I look up at Adriana over here and I'm like, Adriana's wearing glasses and Anthony's like, she's more obedient. Adriana's wearing glasses. Oh, look at that. Saucy. Adriana's wearing glasses and, and Anthony's like, no, she's not. Candace's like, no, she's not wearing glasses. And then Renee gets involved like, well, I think that she is wearing glasses. Oh, no, it's all ideas. You know, it's all right. Two opposing ideas can't both be true. There was a day when that made sense to us. That if you and I believe opposite things, one of us is wrong, actually. One of us isn't right. In fact, both of us could be wrong. (laughs) But we're not both right. Two plus two equals four. Every time? Uh Uh-huh. Dig it down. I hope so. Or I hope you're not my accountant. (laughs) Or have anything to do with math anywhere. Speed limit? I don't know. It's all about the same. (laughs) My truth is 165 is okay in a playground zone. They can't both be true. Right? So Scott was telling me before, you know, earlier in confidence, we were looking at these, um, at these Bose speakers here that the sound is coming out of right now, and, and I'm like, it's a speaker. And Scott's like, you know what? If you turn it on its side, I think it's a microwave. I'm like, Scott, Scott, man. Like, no, wait, I'm in this Canadian moment where I don't want to hurt his feelings and be like, dude, it's not a microwave. Well, no, I mean, I, there's black microwaves. I think it's a microwave, actually. You just turn it on its side and cram something in there. I think it would work. Well, now, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know what? I just, I shouldn't argue with it, but you know, that's true for you. That's true for you. You want to use it as a microwave? That's fine. That's true for you. I mean, I'll use it like a speaker and that'll be true for me. I mean, come dig down a little deeper. And then Warren here is like, he told me in confidence the other day that he's like, you know what? You know what? I'm not really a man. I just had this revelation. I'm a unicorn. I'm a unicorn. I'm like, well, you know what? That's cool for you, I guess. Warren, because I don't want to hurt your feelings. So, like, I'm a unicorn. I mean, I, I'm like, I don't know, but you don't really look like a unicorn. You don't smell like a unicorn, or at least, like, I think a unicorn would smell like. And I was like, I don't know, but are we both right? But, but now we're in this place where it's like, you know, but actually, Pastor Corey, I'm a unicorn, but you're a unicorn, and we're all unicorns. <laughs> now, look, listen, millennials, as badly as you want to be unicorns, as badly as you want to be unicorns, unicorns are unicorns. They have a union. They'll mess you up. Because either you're a unicorn or you're not a unicorn. It's like, you know, the greatest failure, Oprah, in the, in the human in our thing is that we, we don't all agree that all roads lead to God. There are many ways to get to God, right? Gandhi, there are many ways to get to God. But our two opposing religions 
Are two opposing religions both right? Because the Muslims believe that there is one God, Allah, and the Jews that there is one God, Yahweh, one. Christians believe that it's three in one, so it's more pluralistic, and it looks that way. That's a tough one to say. Try that. And the Buddhists like, there's lots of gods. John back there is like, that light bulb is God. Electrician. No, I mean, but our two opposing ideas completely at odds at each other are both of them right. It's impossible. The law of contradiction. It is not logical. Are all religions equal then? This is where we get to it. Are all ideas equal in value? Are all religions equal then? Well, yeah. You know what? You know what? You can believe what you can believe, but I'm also going to say that it's equal. Your religion is equal to this religion, equal to all religions. Well, what about like, like the Ammonite religion where, where they like throw babies in the fire and they don't want to hear them scream, so they beat drums. Is that religion? The same as this religion? The same as this religion? Of equal value? Well, I guess maybe not that one. Well, which ones? Like raping young girls. Well, that's what they believe. That's their religion. We, are, we, are you cool with that? Huh. Are they all equal? Are they all of equal worth and equal value? Well, which religions? Well, the, I guess the nice ones, maybe. I guess maybe the modern ones. They would say, some would, that you're wrong. I find it so offensive that you would have the nerve to judge some other religion and some other people and some other actions and some other, until it's your sister, you feel differently now? Until it's your daughter, you feel any different now? Huh. What are we measuring things against? You have to measure them against something. Does being wrong exclude me from something? Here's the thing, if I believe, and I don't, to be perfectly clear, I don't believe what I'm saying next, that to include other people, I should date somebody who's not Aaron. I need to include them because Aaron and I got this good thing going on, but you know, there's lots of lonely girls out there. You know what? There's other 15 year old girls out there that need a dad too, so why don't I go and spend part of my time with another family to include somebody else. What would being wrong about being exclusive in my family cost me? You think there's no cost to being wrong about what you believe? What about having the wrong decimal place in a billion dollar deal? What's that gonna cost you? You'd be like food stamps now. Like forever. Don't put that on your resume. Does being wrong exclude you from something? Benefits? Health? Does being wrong about your diet exclude you from something? Good fat or bad fat? I asked permission for this one too. My, my, my wife and I got into this argument. Who was there for the first argument about good fat and bad fat? I asked her if I could say it's Nassia. I know that you were there. My wife, because she's not competitive, so this is going to come as a shock. <laughs> but she's telling me the difference between good fat and bad fat. And good fat is like avocados and almonds, I guess, and stuff. And bad fat is everything that I like to eat. <laughs> so 
She was like, good for having you know, like basically you need to eat healthier or whatever. And so I'm like, but, you know, because I'm an idiot. I'm like, but, you know, would too much good fat be bad fat? Yeah. And, and here's the thing, and here's the thing, because I want to eat whatever I want to eat. Here's the thing, though. She says, would too much good fat be bad fat? And she says, no. And I'm like, ooh, I can eat however I want to now because I'm like, okay, let me spin a scenario out for you. Nasi was there for the first time this ever happened. Let me spin a scenario out for you. I eat 500 avocados a day and 47 kilograms of almonds a day. And I weigh 1,500 pounds and you need a crane to get me out of my house. Is too much good fat, bad fat? And you know what she said? Guess. But she's not competitive, so we're not talking about the same person. What does being wrong exclude you from? Well, it includes crane service. If you're wrong about that one, they're not cheap. Does being wrong exclude you from things? But then we look to the heavens and we say, you, God, can't exclude me no matter what I think or what I believe or what I've done. You're not allowed to. You have to be nice to me. You have to be nice to all of us. No matter what, God, I don't even believe in you. But I'm still going to heaven because that's how it works. I believe in God. What does God think? I have a good marriage. What does your wife think? There's two people in a relationship. You want to go to heaven? Have a relationship with God. But we look to the heavens and we're like, you don't have the right and it's mean and you're not mean and so you're not going to see where it goes. Exclude me from heaven. And it doesn't matter what I think or do about you. I'm going to get there anyways. Oh, is it logical? Not one inch of that's logical. Canadian reasoning. And if you dare to suggest that what I said is untrue, here's the thing. If I'd say that in some circles, you know what the response would be. You're a horrible, mean bigot. For speaking the truth? Well, that's not true for me. But if you're wrong, what are you excluded from? If you're wrong, what's it going to cost you? If you're wrong, what's the price tag? Plato said, into the next piece, there are two things that lead men to believe in God. The argument for the existence of the soul, the inner morality that we're entering now, and the argument from the order of the motion of the stars on inner morality, if it's all an accident how we got here, our origin, why are we moral creatures? Evolutionary psychology and survival of the fittest is like, hey man, just whatever works for you and whatever causes you to live better at the end of the day and survive and get through this. Why would you feed your own kids? There's something a lot written deep down inside of us where you will draw the line someplace at behavior. Now, it might not be the same place as your neighbor, but some, everybody has this line that you won't cross. Where did that come from? If you're nothing more than an animal, let me ask you this. If you're nothing more than an animal, why do you think that what you think is reasonable and logical? You're just an animal. If it's all an accident, and we're animals, why would we trust our own logic? What if we're guinea pigs? Somebody's gonna be like, I think they're really smart. I don't know if they are. 
or not. I got a goldfish. I don't think he's super smart. Aaron's like, he recognizes me. I'm like, it's like giant thing moving across the screen. I'm like, hey, what's up? Sometimes this thing brings food, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Survival of the fittest. Evolutionary psychology. Why would you struggle with kindness for others? So why would you ever pay money out of your pocket? Let me ask you this question here. If it's true and, there's, and this is all an accident and it's survival of the fittest, why would you ever risk yourself to jump in and save a drowning child in a river? Why would you ever do something like that? Where did it come from? What impulse would lead you to do that if you risk your own self? I'll bet you that you would do that if you knew that you had a 50-50 chance of not making it. I'll bet you you would do that in a moment. Where did it come from? Are you just an animal? Where did it come from? Where did it come from? This inner law, this inner morality. A famous evolutionary said, said this, man scans with scrupulous care the character and pedigree of his horses, cattle, and dogs before he matches them. But when he comes to his own marriage, man rarely takes such care. Both sexes ought to refrain from marriage if they are in any marked degree inferior in body or mind. So Aaron loses a hand in an accident as a child, and I shouldn't marry her because she's inferior to me physically. And she got better math marks than me in school, so maybe some could say that she's smarter than me, so she shouldn't marry me. All the guys are like, whoa, where's this going? Don't talk to my wife. And I, hey, can we talk about something else? This gave birth to eugenics, i.e. the rise of Nazi thinking, the basis for discrimination of all sorts. This is the thinking that it came out of. That was from Charles Darwin in The Descent of Man. If mankind is the pinnacle of evolution, then mankind ought to keep rising, maybe. And maybe there's inferior people not worth as much as other people. And yet you find in Christ that the value of a person is the life of one son of God. Of incredible value. Maybe not of incredible usefulness, but of incredible value. Yeah. But if we're nothing more than animals, how dare we trust ourselves with higher order reasoning at all? It makes no sense. Why would you? Here, uh, C.S. Lewis, he couldn't get his head around. He used to be far from God and, and of an incredible intellect in his day. And he, he came to Christ because one of the arguments that brought him there was the inner morality. And this is what he said in his book, uh, In Mere Christianity. This is 1952. In this excerpt from an essay based on his BBC radio broadcast series during World War II, Lewis makes his case for the existence of absolute truth in the form of moral law. Now, this is going to be a little intellectual, so I know we all think we are, but here's an actual intellectual, so try to keep up here. It's going to be amazing. Um, which he considers an innate part of human conscience. He says this, right and wrong is a clue to the meaning of the universe. When you think about these things between the morality of one people and another, okay, religion's morality, do you think that the morality of one people is ever better or worse than that of another? We're in this moment where we're like, it's all the same. It's all equally awesome. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. <laughs> Have any of the changes been improvements? If not, then of course, there could never be any moral progress. We're at this, we're at this place where I'm like, I don't have to improve because I'm already there. You are too. I have to say to you first so that I don't actually have to do anything with my life. 
Progress means not just changing, but changing for the better. If no set of moral ideas were truer or better than any other, there would be no sense in preferring civilized morality to savage morality or Christian morality to Nazi morality. It's all the same, right? In fact, of course, and he's writing this in 1952. In fact, of course, we all do believe that some moralities are better than others. We all believe that. We all do all believe that some of the people who tried to change the moral ideas of their own age were what we call reformers of pioneers, people who understood morality better than their neighbors did. Well, how dare he? Isn't that what happened? Very well then, the moment you say that one set of moral ideas can be better than another, you are in fact measuring them both by a standard, saying that one of them conforms to that standard more nearly than the other. But the standard that measures the two things, catch this, is something different than either. Catch that, catch that, catch that. If there is an inner morality, you and I are both measuring ourselves against something that is outside of us. That is not either of us. You are in fact comparing them with both with some real morality, admitting that there is such a thing as a real right, independent of what people think, and that some people's ideas get nearer to that real right than others. You can feel it inside. You know it's true because it hurts. It's eating vegetables. Or put it this way, if your moral ideas can be truer and those of the Nazis less true, there must be something, some real morality for them to be true about. The reason why your idea of Unork <laughs> New York, it's an easy mistake to make. Each me means merely the town I am imagining in my head. If, if each of us, you would say New York and I would say New York, that's a tough one now, it's mixing me up. But if when I said that, all I'm doing is telling you about this town that exists in my head, Warren, how could one of us be truer, have truer ideas than the other? All you're talking, we're just, there would be no question of truth or falsehood at all if it's just stuff rattling around in your head. In the same way, if the rule of, dis of decent behavior meant simply whatever each nation happens to approve, there would be no sense in saying that one nation has ever been more correct in its approval than any other. No sense in saying that the world would ever grow morally better or morally worse. I conclude then that though the difference between people's ideas of decent behaviors often make you suspect that there is no real natural law of behavior at all, yet the things we are bound to think about these differences really prove just the opposite. He's saying there's an actual New York to think about. And if you think that New York is full of yurts, and I think it's full of skyscrapers, maybe one of us is wrong. But there's an actual New York, there's an actual morality, there's an actual truth that we are comparing ourselves against. Which is not far from Paul's message to the Romans. He unearths this in a way, and in this text I'm ending my sermon, but just hang in here because something in this is going to shift your mind and shift your thinking. And that my purpose today is to hit you and to hurt you a little bit and to offend you a little bit because if you can't be offended, you can't trade your morality for God's morality. You can't trade your logic for God's logic. And until you do, you will never be consecrated and set apart and you will never have a relationship with God because listen, if he had to explain everything according to your brilliance, he's got to unbend pretty far. Romans chapter 7, Paul says to Romans, all Romans cared about was power, and Paul comes in in the opposite spirit, and Paul tells him about his weakness. You don't do this if you don't believe something different. And he says, I can anticipate the response that is coming about a previous argument. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, he says, but I'm not Paul the Apostle. We all think we're spiritual. This is Paul the Apostle. I'm not. He's like, isn't this also your experience? 
Yes, he says, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. I've spent a long time in this body with this brain and with this heart. I'm full of inner contradictions. So are you. So many contradictions, so many different beliefs. I, I go from one side of the thing to the other in five minutes. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command or a moral law I subscribe to outside of myself is necessary. I must compare myself to something and stop moving the target to where my arrows are flying. Bullseye, bullseye, you're right, I'm right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you go first. You believe this, it's cool for you, I'll believe this, it's cool for me. He's saying, I can't trust my own logic. Now, let me break down who Saul of Tarsus, he was Saul of Tarsus before, he had better teachers than you'll ever have. He was one of the brightest minds in all of Israel in his day. He could think and talk circles around anybody that you know. And this is his conclusion, I can't trust my own logic because it will always defend my flesh. He's like, there's something wrong in here. And all I'm doing is covering for it. And I can talk myself in anything, and that's part of the problem. And my human flesh and logic can never, ever please God. I need something outside of me to stop the madness, is what he's saying. This is where he landed. But I need something more in verse 17. For I know the law, but still can't keep it. And the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I obviously need help. Do you need help? You got it. I realize that I don't have what it takes. What he's saying is, Candace, you and I are a disaster. You and I are a disaster. You and I are a disaster. I'm surprised you got here with pants on today. You are a sinful mess and a disaster. He's like, I'm a disaster. I can't even keep my own word to myself about things. And one, I'm so proud, and then the next minute I blow it and I go back to what I... We're a mess. You've got to come to this place where you are scandalized by the cross of Jesus Christ and wrestle through it. Where you are scandalized. Not that somebody would have the nerve to keep you out of heaven, but that a holy God would want anything to do with you. That a holy God would would be nailed to a cross for you. Why? I bring nothing to that table. There's nothing in me that he should want. There's nothing in me that I can make him better. There's nothing in me. I have to wrestle with this basic fact that I bring nothing to this table that he values. Paul is like, I used to be so logical. I used to drag Christians off to prison, men and women. I stood by there when one of them was killed. I was cool with it. I helped him do it. I dragged his body off. That's what I did. That made sense to me at one time. What happens is you come to church and then you get your life a little cleaned up and then you start thinking that you're all that and you forget what's really inside of you still. He's like, but the problem is, here I am and I'm still a disaster and I'm still a mess. And until you wrestle with that, don't call yourself a Christ follower. You have to wrestle. That has to hurt you so badly. That every moment of every day, you could be so wrong about something. And all of a sudden, your eyes are open. Has that ever happened to you? A shocking moment where you're just like, what, you're leaving what? But I thought things were good. <laughs> he says, I can will it, but I can't do it. 
I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyways. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, it's predictable, and I'm so smart, but I can't stop it. Because this is the problem. It's, it's still in me. My decisions, such... He said, I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyways. My decisions, such as they are, don't result. I've already gone over that. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly, parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. Man, the devil knows you. He's seen a million of you. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. He's saying this to an audience that would hate him for saying this, that despises weakness. Rome. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? And he says, isn't that the real question? Is there nobody outside of me who can do anything? Uh, that's it, of course. It must be it. If there's no solution inside of you, then it must come from outside of you. That's it. He's like, oh, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. The person, not the belief. Jesus Christ, the person, can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. In John's gospel, just to close, he says these words, which would have shocked his audience. He said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning, he's speaking of Jesus, the person. In the beginning was the word, God three in one. God the Father, but the Word, Jesus. In the beginning, it was, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That should make you feel something. That's crazy. Why would you do it? There's nothing in you that would do that. There's nothing in me that would do that. Not for this disaster. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with... That word, Word, means this in the Greek. Logic, reason, intellect all the things that we think we are. In the beginning was the word, and the word was, but see, when Adam and Eve gave up their, through their own reasons, they disobeyed. They had reasons to disobey. It made sense to them. They agreed with it. We agree with it. We're so smart, and we agree with it. That's the only way the devil can get you to do something bad is because you agreed with it. But in the beginning was the word, and the word, the initial, see what he's saying is, God before you, God before the angels, God before everything. In the beginning, there was this logic, there was this reasoning, there was this intellect, there was this thing with no contradictions ever. The worlds or whatever there was at peace. No power struggle, no issues, nothing. In the beginning was this logic, was actual reason was actual intellect. And he's saying, we are so far from this that that heaven's intellect had to come down and start fixing up screwed up Canadian intellect. That he had to unbend and come down. And I want to put out a challenge for you today that some of you have not come to faith because the thing that you need saved is your own mind. And some of you have been in church for 20 years and your mind has never been saved. You have never given God your mind because you still think, 
I have to agree with this. And he's like, if we do things your way, you'll pay that price for all of eternity. And I don't want that for you. Can we just do things my way? Original intellect, original reason, original logic, original peace. See, that's what heaven is. It's a return to the original where there's no crying. There's no strife. There's peace. There's joy. Everlasting. Unending happiness. That is what God intended for you from the beginning. And we took it and we let the devil talk us into this other conversation. And we've been paying for it ever since. But maybe you actually know that there's a piece of your mind you've never given to Christ. And I want to challenge you today. So come talk to me. Come talk to somebody wearing a name tag. And we will hook you up with a conversation where you can actually just stop and be like, I need to quit agreeing with God before I obey God. I need, to, I need something to take this mind over and regenerate it to original heavenly logic because what I think is messed up. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here that they would take this invitation strongly that you've already pushed on me and towards me, that we would wrestle with this idea that we need our minds overthrown by something so much greater because we can't think our way out of this one. And Father, I pray that every person in this room and every person watching online would get to this place in our hearts where we would stop having to agree with you for you to save us. That we would just do things your way so that we can be saved. And we quit looking for the train that's supposed to hit us and we would just let God tackle us and let the truth of the gospel tackle us and hurt us a bit to save us forever, God. And I pray that that search for truth would begin in the hearts of somebody today and that somebody would come to the conclusion that we are never going to be able to think our way out of this one. And I pray, Heavenly Father, you would transform our minds and consecrate us and set us apart for your purposes in this world, that we would come to this place that Paul did where he's just like, hey, I'm weak and I know it, but thank God for Jesus. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.